Do you use to-do lists? If you don't, you should. To-do lists are a simple, straightforward, and the biggest bang for your buck way to boost your productivity. If you already use to-do lists, this episode will increase your confidence in using them because you will understand why and how they work, as well as give you some ideas to make your to-do listing more effective. And if you don't currently use to-do lists, I'm hoping to convince you to give it a try. But it's not enough to just use to-do lists. It's good to know what exactly is a to-do list, why does it work so well, and more importantly, how do you use them correctly? especially in the 80-20 way to boost your productivity. All that and more coming up on this episode of 80-20 Productivity, Productivity Hack Series. Most things don't matter, but the few that matter, matter a lot. Welcome to 80-20 Productivity, the show dedicated to helping you do more by doing less so that you can have more time and energy to enjoy life to the fullest. Now here's your host, author, speaker, and productivity nerd, Anthony Sani. Welcome to the first in the 8020 Productivity Show series, 8020 Productivity Hacks. In 8020 Productivity Hacks, I bring you tips, tools, techniques, habits, and general practices that help you hack your own behavior to help you be more productive, effective, and above all, feel more in control. On this first episode of the series, I think it is appropriate to talk about what I consider to be easily the most, bar none, bang for your buck practice for immediately boosting your productivity. If there is one truly 80-20 productivity hack, one that does so much for a relatively little investment of time, one that checks the boxes of low effort, simplicity, versatility, elegance, and accessibility, it would be, in my opinion, the humble to-do list. In fact, whenever people ask me what is one thing they can do tomorrow or even today to make that day more productive, this is what I tell them. Use a to-do list. So let's talk about what exactly a to-do list is. What is a to-do list? I'm going to put on my Captain Obvious hat here and define a to-do list as a list of things to do. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, stop it. Stop it. You're far too kind. I know that's just pure genius, isn't it? Thank you. Stop it. Seriously, stop it. Seriously. Okay, that was a little bit obvious, right? You probably knew that already. A to-do list is a things of things. It's a list of things you need to do. Like a shopping list, a list of things to buy, a to-do list helps you itemize tasks for a period of time. Could be a to-do list for the day, the week, or month, though generally I like to keep it to the day or week level. A week is a long, uh, well, a month is a long time. At that point, it's better to just set goals and then break them down into weekly and daily tasks in your to-do. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Later on, we'll talk about the common mistakes in using to-do lists, and I'll have that in the timestamps. Depending on where you're listening to this podcast, there'll be timestamps if you want to over there and check that out. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. First, let's talk about why to-do lists are so useful and why you should definitely start using them. On that note, let's dive right into why and even how to-do lists work. Let's talk about why first of all. 
Why do people typically make lists? The answer to this is the beginning of why to-do lists work, though there are more subtle hack-oriented points too. But let's start with why people typically make lists and how they help us. Well, the number one reason people make lists is quite simply so that they don't forget. This is probably the simplest and most common reason. Going back to shopping lists for a minute, nobody likes the feeling of getting ready, commuting to the store, picking out some stuff, standing in line to pay, uh, paying, <laughs> commuting back home, and then realizing you forgot to buy something you need. You know, maybe you got the coffee and the cream, but forgot the brown sugar. Or you bought the printer ink, but forgot to pick up the paper. It's like, ah! <laughs> and if those examples sound oddly specific, well, that's because that has happened to me in one form or the other more than once, unfortunately. Which is why I now take a few minutes before going out to buy anything to make a list. Sometimes I'll even make the list over the course of the week as I notice items and supplies running low so that I don't ever have to feel that feeling of frustration again. You see, to-do lists work in a similar way. They simply help us remember what needs doing. As much as we might not like to admit it, you see, our memories as humans are generally quite poor. Especially when we get into adulthood with a lot more on our minds, it is so easy to just forget. The act of making a to-do list makes it so much easier for us to remember the things we need to do. That alone makes it worthwhile. You know, letting things slip through the cracks, as they say, is considered, for most people, unprofessional. I mean, you can only make the excuse of, sorry, I forgot, so many times to your team, your client, or even yourself before it starts to get old and affect your professional reputation. Other people, and even, you might argue, worse, yourself, could start to see you as disorganized or unreliable. You know, not a good look. So, quite simply, a to-do list, because you can always refer to it, helps you remember. And that is valuable in and of itself. So that was number one. It helps you remember. Number two, a list, and I really like this one, I should say. This one's an interesting, more subtle reason why to-do lists work. And that is that the list declutters your brain and reduces stress and anxiety. Well, you might be thinking to yourself, oh, come now, Anthony, how can making a list, just making a list, reduce stress and anxiety? How can making a list declutter my brain? Well, dear friend, I'm glad you asked. Let's kick that answer off with a little story about a late, unfortunately late Lithuanian psychologist by the name of Bluma Zagarnik. Dr. Zagarnik discovered one of the most influential theories on memory and specifically how our memories are affected by the completion or uncompletion of tasks. More on that in a minute. And she discovered that in a rather unexpected place, not in her lab or in a library in the throes of some deep intellectual immersion in academic papers or something, but rather in a restaurant while out with a bunch of friends and colleagues. You see, there was a particular waiter at the restaurant near the, near the campus where Dr. Zagarnik was working, and she would go there with her friends. And there was this particular waiter who they noticed, he was a veteran waiter, who they noticed would take their orders with each minor detail 
no notes, no notepad, nothing. And then he would deliver that order exactly as they ordered it with no error, repeatedly, consistently, regardless of how many of them were there. He would do this at other tables in the restaurants too, and he didn't appear to have any trouble keeping up with all the orders. I mean, he, he would memorize, think about that. He would memorize all those orders by heart. I'm talking about parties of six to seven to eight people with various specific orders. And they would take the order, he would take the order, go back in, bring out the food exactly as they have ordered it. And he never got it wrong. Now, if you've ever worked in the hospitality industry, you know that is quite a feat. Most of us struggle to remember even one friend or partner's Starbucks order. Did they want soy milk or regular? Half sweet, whipped cream or no whipped cream? Again, like, ah. Now, imagine remembering seven to 10 orders across multiple tables in a busy restaurant. Simply phenomenal, right? But, but, but that was not the insight that led Dr. Zagarnik down what became a truly enlightening and fruitful path of scientific research. It wasn't that. It was an informal experiment her and her colleagues conducted on one of their visits to the restaurant with this waiter. He was, he was, of course, completely oblivious to it. So here's what they did. After ordering their food as usual and marveling at the accuracy of this wonder waiter, they, I call him the wonder waiter, not them, then they proceeded to cover their plates with napkins. And then they invited this same waiter back and asked him to recount what they had ordered. I mean, he was blank. Crickets, nothing. Even though this waiter had just mere minutes ago delivered these, these orders with flawless precision, he could not for the life of him recall any of the orders correctly. I mean, how could this be? The explanation, Dr. Zygarnik would find, was that while taking and processing the information, the orders, th that information represented a kind of an open loop in the waiter's brain that caused him to hold on to the information. But once the order was completed and delivered, the loop was closed and the waiter's brain quickly dispensed of the information to perhaps make room for the numerous other orders that, were, that needed storage space in his mind. Granted, this waiter was indeed exceptional, there's no doubt about it, in his capacity to process and store information. But his ability was more in keeping many open loops going right? Keeping them going until they were closed, at which point the data, if you will, would simply disintegrate. Uh, but what does all this have to do with to-do lists? Well, not creating to-do lists is like leaving these open loops in your brain. However, unlike the waiter, your open loops will likely not earn you any generous tips. If anything, they will cause stress and anxiety with your brain popping them up in your mind at almost sadistically odd and inopportune times. Does this happen to you? I mean, think about it. what use is remembering you have a report to edit while barreling down the freeway at 100 kilometers an hour. I'm not sure what that is for our non for our non-kilometer speaking people. I think it's I think it's about uh, 60, 60 miles an hour, something like that. That's not the point. The point is th this is it's almost it's basically useless for your brain to offer you that information at that time. There isn't much you can do about it. And so you just wind up feeling anxious and stressed. And that's the other thing. I think David Allen 
Allen talks about this in his one of, you know, arguably one of the most influential productivity books of, of the modern time is uh, Getting Things Done, right, by David Allen. He argues about, he talks about this, where he says, your brain is good for having ideas, not for keeping them. And he talks about how your brain will often offer up information to you at the most inopportune time. But that's an aside there. So think about it this way. If you had created a to-do list that included this task, say, that this brain is bringing to your attention while you're on the highway, um, for either the week or the day, uh, that act of creating that to-do list is a kind of loop-closing action, right? Your brain lets go of the task once you've created, once you've put it down in the list, and you have mental space, more mental space, and importantly, less stress. You know, you know what it's like. You know how stressful it is when you're reminded of something you have to do, especially when you're reminded at a time when it is like the worst time in the world because you can't really do it at that time. It can be very stressful, especially if it's an important task, right? So making, making that list, putting that thing down, in a sense, closes the loop for your brain to know that, okay, it's written down, you can let it go. However, this is based on the caveat that you actually review the to-do list though. Something again we will discuss later in the show in this episode when we talk about the common mistakes. Uh, again, check the timestamps in your podcast listening app of choice to see if you can navigate right to that, but that will be in the show notes for your convenience. But for now, know that a to-do list can work wonders in this regard. Taking a few minutes to make a to-do list helps you pull the information out of the busy, buzzing, and often weird-behaving biological brain into a more fixed form, either as ink on paper or digital characters on a screen. The to-do list turns what these, these ephemeral thoughts, right? What Einstein calls psychical entities. It turns them from, from that fleeting ethereal thing into tangible, readable characters, right? Texts or, or diagrams, characters you can refer to later. Because without that, you wind up feeling worried. You worry about these things, right? You're thinking about them all the time. And that, again, is what causes stress. So having a to-do list reduces that stress for you because guess what? You don't have to think about it anymore. You know it's in the list. It tells your brain, chill out. I have recorded this task and I intend to get to it. So please feel free to dedicate your awesome computing power to other more pressing and promising pursuits. Thank you very much. So that was number two. Number three, a to-do list makes it more likely you will actually follow through. According to research by Dr. Gil Matthews out of California, you are 42% more likely to achieve a goal when you write it down. Now, if you think about to-do lists as relatively short-term goals, if you will say a daily goal or a weekly goal, then you're more likely to follow through on them just by writing them down. Now, in the research, Dr. Matthews attributed this jump in likelihood to achieving your goals to a few factors, including the fact that the act of writing forces you to think through your goals and articulate them, put them into words, uh, what I like to call the confront and clarify process. Now, I think Forbes, Forbes has a really cool quote from her, and I'll put that in the show notes, something to the effect of um, three, three, 
three factors being being important for this to work. And that's accountability, commitment, and writing down one's goals. We'll stick that in the show notes for you to, to take a look at. But even though the writing down aspect of the three, again, accountability, commitment, and writing and writing down, um, the, the writing down part is very clearly connected to the to-do list, right? Because the to-do list is re- literally a written list of things to do. But I would argue that to-do lists, even though they explicitly address the writing down portion, they also kind of address the commitment and accountability piece. And to understand that, um, let's, let's draw on some of the work by Robert Cialdini, arguably one of the best known names in the psychology of persuasion. And he talks about how you can get people to follow through on a commitment just by getting them to write down that they will do what they said, right? Or sign a document. That's pretty powerful. <laughs> if you ever hear of put it in writing, you know how powerful that can be. People suddenly hesitate because they know once they've written it down, it's like there's this contractual, there's this sense of, of obligation that comes with writing something down. Cialdini even says, if you want to get your friends to commit to something, you can even just get them to text you to confirm that they will. And that increases the odds that they'll do it. There's something simply about putting pen to paper, a finger to screen or thumbs to LCD or whatever, that makes us feel somewhat bound to follow through. Now, granted, some of us do so much better keeping promises to others than to ourselves. Not great, but still true for many people, right? Um, I have found, though, that I am generally much more uncomfortable at the end of the day when I have a written to-do list and haven't finished the items than on days when I have pretty much just winged it. And I consider myself to be fairly like maybe not the highest on the scale, but probably average in terms of how much I I value my commitments to myself. I would say probably more than average. I value commitments to myself, sometimes maybe even more than commitments to other people. How that works out for you is up to you. But whether or not you value commitments to yourself more than others or vice versa, just making a written commitment in the form of a to-do list checks off that box, in my opinion, of commitment as one of the three factors that makes it likely that you will achieve a goal, according to Dr. Matthews. There's something about writing it down that just puts you on the hook to get it done. So that's how I think a to-do list helps with commitment, other than just the explicit writing things down. On a more subtle level, though, creating a to-do list, as I mentioned earlier, forces us to think about what we want to achieve in that day or week to, again, confront and clarify In other words, to remove the fogginess in our thinking, making a to-do list forms the beginnings, in my mind, of an action plan. For example, when I set out to create this podcast episode, I had initially just written on my to-do list on the day, uh, record podcast. But as I wrote that, literally in the moment as I wrote that, I quickly realized there were quite a few sub-steps that would have to take place, and they each would take time and effort. And that forced me to scale back my overall list to accommodate the now-realized greater resources I would need to complete the goal of recording this podcast. That's just one example of how taking a few minutes to create a to-do list can clarify your thinking, help your planning, and improve your odds of follow-through on the things you set out to do. Yet another reason why to-do lists work and are so effective. 
Now we've talked about reasons why to-do lists work. I've given you three, and there are three big ones in the in the spirit of 80-20. Three good enough reasons, to my mind, why to-do lists work and why they are so powerful. Now let's delve into some of the common mistakes. Let's get into the, let's get our hands inky, not dirty, right? Let's get our thumbs tapping as to common mistakes that people make regarding to-do lists so that you don't make these mistakes these mistakes and so that you can make the most of your to-do listing let's get into common mistakes regarding to-do lists common mistakes with to-do lists Number one is the most obvious. Number one, not using a to-do list. Again, Captain Obvious, thank you very much. You're welcome. Of course, if you don't use a to-do list, that's the most common, that's like the ultimate mistake. If you don't use it, you're not getting the most out of it. Moving on, right? Number two, making your to-do list too long. This is a big one. I think there's, I don't know who said this quote. If I find it, I'll put it in the show notes for you. The quote says, we overestimate what we can achieve in one day, but underestimate what we can achieve in one year. Something to that effect. That quote is so powerful. I really love it because what it speaks to is our tendency to try to do too much in a day. Often we'll fail and not be consistent. Whereas if we did just a few things every day, it'd be a, we would amaze ourselves at how much we would have accomplished over the course of a year. I, I want to really recommend that quote to you. Remember that quote. Memorize it. Just think about it every day. We overestimate what we can achieve in one day, but underestimate what we can achieve in one year. And that speaks to this common mistake with, with to-do lists is making them too long making them too long. In the spirit of 80-20, let me offer you a very practical 80-20 way to use your to-do list. And this is what I call the big two. The big two. In the language of 80-20, the vital two that will make the most difference for you in that day. What does this mean? I generally recommend that you have one to two really big things you're going for in the day. And when you make your to-do list, put those one to two things at the very top of the list, preferably in big, bold type or, or lettering, make them really stand out. If you were to achieve these two things today, would this day be successful? If the answer is yes, those are the two big things you focus on for the day. And it sounds so simple, but think about what would happen if every day you did two big things, not just two, you know, by the way things, I mean, two really big business changing, life changing, career changing, health changing, whatever changing things, things that would really move the needle for you. If you did those things every day, I mean, even if you missed a day here or there, in a year, you would have completed well over, think about this, over 600 impactful tasks. Think about that. That's huge. And if you really pick those two things with, with, with intention, you would be unrecognizable in some respect in a year if you kept consistent. 
So don't sneeze at this. Just this concept of the vital two can make a big difference. Going back to the podcast episode, there were two, th- I, I had initially three things on my to-do list, plus a few other, um, let's call them secondary things. And we'll talk about secondary things in a minute. But when I realized this podcast was going to take up more time, I quickly cut that list down to two things. And I'm glad to say this is the end of the day now. I'm recording this. I have achieved those two things. And here's the real kicker to doing the vital two. You want to have the vital two things. Then you want to have secondary things. These are things that, yeah, if you get time in the course of the day, you will do them, but not at the expense of completing the vital two. Whenever you have that opportunity, whenever the choice is yours, you will pick moving the needle on the vital two other than the secondary. For example, in my day today, secondary on the list was shopping. And maybe that's why we have so many examples from shopping in outlining this episode, right? I guess it was somewhere in the back of my mind. But what happened was after completing the first main task for the day, which was a client delivery, jumped into the podcast. At a certain point in working on the podcast, I needed to go do the shopping. Now, I had moved the needle quite a bit on the podcast. I used the shopping as a break, kind of like to reset my brain. And here I am back again recording this podcast. You will often find that when you set your vital two, your brain gets to work on how to make those things happen for you. Your, your day might get busy, but just having set that intention makes it so much more likely that you will get those vital two things done because you've prioritized them in your mind for your brain. But if you have a list of 14 things, or maybe all so important, your brain doesn't know what to do with that. Where well, How is it going to fit 14 things into a 24-hour day, eight of hours of which hopefully you're sleeping? How is it going to do that? It can't. So it shuts down, treats everything as important, and the odds that you'll get anything really meaningful done is low. But on the flip side... You might even get things done, but because they're not your 80-20 tasks, you've not put thought into picking the vital two or three or whatever number, I I recommend two, obviously, you've not put thought into clarifying, again, confronting and clarifying what those big moves for your day are, you might be quote-unquote getting things done, but maybe you're not getting the right things done. Remember, it's not enough to be efficient, you want to be effective, you want to be being efficient at the things that matter. So that's the mistake, making your to-do list too long and not using the concept of the vital two for your to-do lists. Number two common mistake is not checking in, not checking in on your to-do list. Granted, this is rendered a bit moot by you picking two things. Obviously, if you have two big things you want to do in a day, your brain is perfectly fine remembering two things, no big deal. But once you have secondary items, say you complete the first two, the vital two, and you have secondary items, maybe running your list about three to five or so, then the odds that you'll remember all of them is low. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. I don't know about you, but for me, it's often surprising how in the middle of the day, I'll forget. And I'll be like, wait a minute, what else was I supposed to do today? I would go back to my list and find out, you know, like, oh, okay, that's those are the other things I need to do. Should probably get on that. Um, so not revisiting your list, especially during the course of the day, can be a mistake. If you skip revisiting your list at the, during the course of the day, definitely don't miss checking your list at night before you go to bed. This could easily be a third mistake, but I figure that's lazy. Let's just bundle them in together here. 
Not checking your list during the day, you could get away with. But here's the pitfall. When you do check your list in the evening, which I highly recommend, you might find out you forgot to do something. And now you're in bed, it's too late. You just end up in a, what a waste, right? But if you checked your list during the course of the day, especially the secondary bits, if you finish the vital two, now you can see if you can squeeze those in to really make the day a, a popping productive day. The other reason you want to check your list, especially at the end of the day, is because you want to go to bed with a sense of either complete victory, right? That sense of fulfillment and joy of having done reason of having done well in your day. There's actually proof that crossing off things on your to-do list releases dopamine in your brain. Dopamine, as you know, is the hormone for pleasure. And your brain actually is happy when you give it that dopamine hit of saying, check check and check baby killed it today and that is a very powerful positive way in which you can go to sleep at night and you know end your day strong on the other side though if you haven't done great this is an opportunity for you to reflect and to kind of set your intention on an unconscious level before you go to bed for the next day this is not about bashing yourself or beating yourself up no it's about reviewing your day, reviewing your to-do list, seeing if you did what you said you would do. If you didn't, reflecting on why that was and setting a strategy, setting your posture, setting an intention for the next day to nail that thing, to attack it and to beat whatever stopped you from doing it in the current day. So that's mistake number two, not going back to the to-do list. Mistake number three, not using the to-do list consistently. I have seen this happen so many times. People tell you, ah, to-do lists don't work. Forget about the to-do the, 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 the list. Forget about it. Doesn't work. I've tried it. Well, if you probe, you will find out maybe they use it for a week. Maybe they used it for two weeks. Rarely will you find someone who uses to-do lists consistently who will not attest to how powerful they are in not only boosting, but sustaining your productivity. In fact, one of the best things you can do when you are feeling overwhelmed, honestly, and this goes back to some of the reasons why to-do lists work, one of the best things you can do is just making a list of all the things that are making you feel overwhelmed and then prioritizing which ones you need to do and then just setting out a plan to doing them one at a time over the course of either a day, a week, or a few weeks. That in itself Maybe again, because of the Zagarnik effect, that in itself can be cathartic. It can feel like a form of healing and, and it can be very powerful as well. So don't just try to do this for a day or two or three. Commit to using your to-do list consistently. And now not only do you have this almost like a journal of, of your achievements over the course of many days or weeks or months or even years, on top of that, you actually can see how your productivity has snowballed. I remember talking to a colleague of mine, we were part of a coaching group, and she was really upset in that call about how she had so many things she wanted to do, but she was feeling overwhelmed. Now, this is a very successful entrepreneur, runs a successful media company, but she was making some moves in her business, and she was just feeling overwhelmed. And everybody starts giving her all this advice, right? Like, outsource it, get somebody else to do it, uh, maybe just don't even bother doing it, all kinds of advice. But I, I, I understood where she was coming from because I know what that's like, feeling overwhelmed with too much to do. And so I just kind of asked her in the call, I said, hey, 
What if you just made a list of everything you needed to do and then just start working on the list? And the entire call just went quiet. And you think that's so obvious, but she wrote me in a private chat later and said, you know what, Anthony, thank you for that advice. I really, I feel like you got what my struggle was. See, people people often ignore some of the simple things that can make productivity so much more enjoyable. You want the most sophisticated answer. Sometimes that, that is the answer, but oftentimes it can be as simple as just writing a list of what you have to do and then systematically over the course of time, going through that list and just addressing what's on the list. And now for the next mistake, having a to-do list that stretches too far out in time. From my experience, the longest time horizon for a to-do list should be no more than a week. I think it works best to set a weekly to-do list that then acts as a guide for what you do daily. In general, going more than a week out gives more room for sidetracking as things come up either at home or in work and business that pretty much take us off track. A week seems to be the most manageable unit length of time to plan out from. Any more and you could forget or get distracted. Any less and it's hard to keep the context of what you're doing. To get the most out of this approach, I recommend having bigger goals you set, either yearly or even better, quarterly, every three or four months. These goals then break down into your weekly tactics, and then your daily to-dos are how the rubber really hits the road and you take concrete action. Perhaps an example would help. Let's say you have a goal to be at a certain weight by the end of the quarter. A big part of your strategy is to exercise. Your weekly to-do will cover that, perhaps by listing that you will go to the gym or otherwise exercise four times a week, in that week. And then, obviously, next thing is, four out of seven days in that week, your to-do list will include, well, exercise. This is how an otherwise pie-in-the-sky goal translates to real action in your day. As you can see, you don't really need monthly to-do lists. You need goals that translate to weekly and daily to-dos that keep your effort in context of what matters. In a future episode, we'll break down how to set 80-20 goals, but for now, use the goals you have as the compass for your weekly and daily to-dos and avoid the mistake of having to-dos that reach out too far in the future beyond your reasonable control. So, I hope you've enjoyed this first episode of 8020 Productivity Hacks. The hack, again, is simple. Use a to-do list. Start your day. Make a list of the vital two things you want to achieve. Another list of maybe three or four or five secondary goals you want to hit. And then set your intention. Start going on the vital two making those priority and then fitting in the secondary ones as the day goes by. Remember, we overestimate what we can do in one day and underestimate what we can do in one year. Using a to-do list will help you maximize your productivity over time like nothing 
else will. And I hope you'll start using to-do lists if you're not already. And if you already are, start using them more consistently and in a more sophisticated manner. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope you found the information useful or at least interesting. But remember, it's not what you know that matters. It's what you do with what you know. Anthony Sani here, signing off. Bye for now. See you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to 8020 Productivity. If you enjoy the show, then subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. And if you'd like to learn about how Anthony can help you or your organization drive gains through smart, focused productivity, then head over to anthonysani.com. Until the next episode, stay true to your vital few.